0: What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond, and you are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. And yes, indeed, it's been pushed to Tuesday. The Blazers played a game on Monday. It wasn't a good time for our traditional mailbag, but our weekly mailbag episode is here. I'm recording this on Tuesday evening. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. One, just tweet at me, at Rich on Twitter. You don't have to wait. But if you do want to wait on Monday mornings, or in this case, Tuesday mornings, I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You can respond to that tweet, and I'll get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user, you can just email the show at LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. It's a great way to write a little bit longer, introduce yourself, all those things. And it's a great way to not tweet, which is always a great thing to do. We do this each week. Come blow out or high water. That's your preamble. Now let's get into it. This first question comes from Adam Nakamura. That's at Adam Naka 28 on Twitter who asks, I know Dame wants to control his own destiny and will always fight and play no matter the score, but I would have loved to see Stotts pull him when the game was clearly over. That is all. Oh, here's a question mark. Adam responded to my tweet saying that you didn't need to ask a question. You could just vent a little bit. And I think, um, to some extent, you are correct, Adam. Uh, Damian Lord will not play in Game Five. He has a sprain; been diagnosed with a sprained right knee. The initial MRI was inconclusive. He got a second MRI on Tuesday afternoon. The Blazers determined that he is out for Game Five. Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports reported that even if the ga- if the game were extended, if the Blazers win Game Five and push it to Game Six, Dame's very unlikely to play. The tweet was a little bit unclear from Haynes, but I read it as maybe. Uh, Dame wouldn't be available for an extended period. If 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 the Blazers were to even, you know, win this series that it wouldn't be necessarily that he'd be back in a week's time or whatever it was. Regardless, that's not gonna happen. The Lakers are gonna win one of these next two games, probably the game on Wednesday, and that'll be that. So the question is, should have should Dame have been in the game? And here's how I honestly feel, Adam. The first injury when he dislocated his finger uh, trying to go for a steal on Anthony Davis. That happened with like a minute and 45 seconds left in the third quarter in a 30 point game. That is a t- perfectly okay thing to point to and say, why the hell is he on the court? I have no problem with you being upset about that. I think that is very reasonable. That game was way over, and you're talking the last 13 minutes of the game. But the injury where he hurt his knee. It happened at the 7:17 mark of the third quarter. So what you're saying to the Blazers, what you're saying to Damian Lord, who has worked for this entire year and in a lot of ways his entire life to be in these moments and will his team back is that, dog, if you get down big early, we're going to quit. I just don't think you can, you can pull the plug less than halfway through the third quarter. I think you can know it's over and maybe sub him out at the five or six minute mark and say, cool, it's done. But giving up, not letting him play his normal third quarter minutes, which is about nine minutes, and I'm thinking you can even cut that short if you want, is disrespectful to the process that the team has gone through. Sure, the Lakers opened the quarter on 11-2 run and ended all doubt, and it was like, cool, you're down 40 now. The game's over. You thought it was over before, now it's super, super over. So I can understand where you're coming from, but I disagree. I don't think you pull a guy, I don't think you give up after a half of basketball in the playoffs. I just don't think you do it. I think it's a I think it's uh I think it's disrespectful to the game. I think it's disrespectful to your team. I think it's in some ways disrespectful to the Lakers. I I just I just disagree with it. You're right to be mad about the first injury. I think you're off base about the second one. Okay, this next question comes from Cannon from Gmail who asks, "Do you think people are justified in wanting Terry Stotts out?" Personally, I like Terry. He isn't perfect, but I can't see a much better solution coming in and working for this team right now. What do you think? Not the only one asking about Terry Stotts. PDF Normal at Bob underscore Deager on Twitter asks: Most would agree injuries and in roster construction are the team's main limiting factors, but in what ways do you think the coaching staff could have improved Portland's chances against LA? Also, do you ever envision a time when the team moves on from Stotts and Co? So let's talk a little about Terry Stotts here. My real thinking on this is that Terry Stotz's job isn't in jeopardy because the way the Blazers' ownership has been operating, they've been getting cheaper. They've been very actively getting cheaper. They've been doing things to not spend money. And they're not going to pay two coaches. So Terry Stotts's job is safe because he got a contract extension. But I also think Terry Stotts deserves some... Criticism for the way this series has played out. Certainly the roster is a problem. Having good players makes coaches look better. That's a that's a really good plan. You know when people started really thinking Doc Rivers was a good coach, when it was sort of universally accepted that Doc Rivers was a good coach? When the Celtics had a bunch of good players. And people were like, oh yeah, Doc Rivers is like one of the best coaches in the league. He gets the big three in Boston. He wins a title. He goes to another championship and... and that's in large part thanks to talent. People are like, oh, Doc Rivers is a really good coach. But I don't think anything changed. I think he just, you when you win, more people realize you're a good coach. So I think when Terry Stotts has been successful, people point to his successes, and and now he's just, the Blazers are really just sort of skidding out of the playoffs, and, he, and people are being highly critical of him, particularly on Twitter.com. I think one of the main factors Terry could have done against the Los Angeles Lakers was maybe lean into the Blazers' strengths a little bit and perhaps move Carmelo Anthony out of the starting lineup he hasn't been very good uh, I think specifically I would say start Dame CJ and Gary Trent Jr. with the two bigs and see how that works the two bigs thing wasn't a great solution I think you could have tried it with maybe starting winning Gabriel and Gary Trent really mixing things up or at least running that lineup out more often I'm not sure what he could have done on defense. I know people like to say, like, Stas doesn't know how to coach defense, but I would argue that when he's had good defensive players that they've been, like, a league average and better defense. And when he's had shitty defensive players, they've been shitty on defense. Like, that, you know, maybe you think he should be able to coach past that, and maybe then that's an opinion you're allowed to have, but I don't totally agree. I don't think Terry's without fault. I think he definitely deserves some criticism. I think he's too rigid. I think he's... um, I just don't think he's. I don't think he's very flexible, and I think that's that. I think he makes a decision. He says stick with it, and then he makes another decision. He goes with that. See Wenyon Gabriel. He was in the starting lineup. Let's see how it works. Okay, I don't like it. Let's yank Wenyon from the from the from the rotation altogether. Kind of just um, not that w- he gets a game plan. He says here's my game plan. Here's my rotation. This is what's going to happen, and it can get away from him. It's hard to make adjustments like little tweaks that would change the series though when you're losing by thirty. Like, you lose by 30, you're just way worse than the other team. That's it's not a coaching problem necessarily. So, to answer Cannon's question, asking about do I see better options coming in. For me, that's always hard to, hard to say. Um, I don't have a great grasp on the coaching landscape. I can read tweets just like you. Do I think Ty Lu and Mark Jackson and... Uh, Ime Yudoka, sort of the hot names on the Twitter carousel that that keep coming up whenever the job opening, do I think they would be definitely better? No, I don't. But I also didn't know that Nick Nurse would be a game-changing coach when he was hired by the Toronto Raptors I you know I had no idea who Nick Nurse was really. I don't think I appreciated what an upgrade Steve Kerr would be when he was hired by the by the Raptors. I'm not sure I appreciated even how good Tyron Lue would change that team. Although he's one of those guys who maybe people didn't respect until he won at a high level and then they started to respect him. Um, it's a it's a talent thing. It really helps people appreciate coaching more. So I don't know that I can like see a better solution on the outside. I don't like the big headline names necessarily. And here's what I really think. One, like I said, I think that the organization is is not gonna go in that direction. I don't think his job is in jeopardy just because what we've seen from them, they don't seem like a team that's going to a, a group that's going to want to pay um for a top flight coach while also paying another coach who is who is well compensated. But I also think that that Damian Lillard, even during this uh, Orlando restart thing has has said he doesn't want his coach to get fired. He loves Terry. He's been incredibly loyal to him. So some of that is just a balance of what Dame wants. Some of that that's just the basics of it. If Dame is still down with Terry, the team has to ride with his flaws. Like they have to ride with some of Dame's flaws too. I think that's just the nature of the beast. Okay, next question comes from Andy Hawkins, at Ahawk80 on Twitter, who says, Mario is awful every time he touches the floor. Is there any reason he shouldn't get a DNPCD for Game 5, or will Stotts continue his stubbornness all the way to the unemployment line? Stotts probably will continue his stubbornness all the way to the unemployment line. That's just the nature of being a coach. You're going to get fired, and very very few coaches get to retire. But, I mean, Mario Hazonia is not good. Let me be clear. He's bad. Um, he's not a good. He's not a very good basketball player. Um, he's pr- fairly likely to be on the team next year. So settle in. Um, who are, who would he play now that you know Damian Lillard is out? Nazir Little's not healthy. Do you think Jalen Horde is way better and worth the experiment? Do you think Jalen Adams is way better and worth the experiment? Would you rather just see thirty nine minutes of Anthony Simons? You would. Okay, thirty nine minutes of Anthony Simons. Cool. That's what we'll do. Next question comes from Blazers Tag Podcast at Blazers Tag PDX on Twitter, who asks Thoughts on bringing in Jim Boylan as the defensive assistant as a way to attempt to improve the defense if player changes aren't available? Jim Boylan, huh? The same Jim Boylan who installed a punch clock at the practice facility, who caused a team mutiny on his third day on the job, who invented the idea of a leadership council that didn't really exist, who made grown NBA players, grown men NBA players, do push-ups and win sprints at practice. That Jim Boylan? Yeah, I don't think turning the Bulls into a top ten defense negates all of his negative qualities. Part of being an NBA assistant coach is just getting along with dudes and I don't think Boylan, Boylan failed that test. So, I gotta hit y'all with that Bishop Bullwinkle. I'm sorry. Turn on. Tough talk does not make for a good defensive coach. That is not how this works. I'm not a Jim Boylan guy, you may have guessed. Neither is Bishop Bullwinkle, but everyone's entitled to their own opinions. Second segment, come back and answer more of your questions. All right. Let's keep it rolling on Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Tony O from Gmail who asks, Zach Collins, what do we do with him? I to kick a man when he's down, but it really feels like his development is much slower than what was expected, and other young prospects have been, have been given up on way earlier than him. The vibe I get when he plays is sheer frustration. Dumb fouls, bad defensive plays, no impact on offense. I also feel like his energy and high activity is negative. He doesn't look like he's always having... Any fun on the court, and to add to the mix, he now starts to show an injury proneness that is frankly quite worrying for such a young player. There are positives of, of course, but they are, in my view, heavily overpowered by negatives. Here's what you do with Zach Collins: you just wait. He's entering his fourth season. The this the next off season, whatever it comes. I was going to say next summer, but I don't know when the off season's going to come. The next off se- whenever the. Offseason and 2021 offseason happens. Zach Collins will be a restricted free agent. The Blazers can uh, tender him a qualifying offer, make him a restricted free agent, allowing them to match whatever he, deal he gets. Then you make a decision. You there's no reason to cut ties with him in year four. It doesn't make any sense. You you can't really trade him now. His trade value is never going to be lower than it is. You're gonna so you don't get a ton of value for him. If you want to trade him, you do that at the trade deadline in the middle of next season. Although, just in any case. Uh, trading a guy in year four of his rookie deal is hard to do Zach was the Blazers put too much into Zach Collins this year they invested too heavily in Zach Collins and Anthony Simons that's what sunk their season Neil Olshay bet on himself and lost he bet on himself lost with Ant because it was too soon for Ant and he bet on himself lost with Zach Collins because of injuries is he injury prone I mean, yeah, right? Like, he's he's dealt with different injuries. He's it, When you injure different parts of your body, you are injury-prone. That's just, you get the label. You earn it. According to Jason Quick of The Athletic, this foot injury may have been lingering in Zach since he had a really severe ankle sprain last summer. Hopefully, this surgery can correct it, but a stress fracture in a seven-footer is never a thing you want to hear. If you are a basketball fan, I don't need to remind Blazers about Blazers fans about that. So... I don't it's too early to give up on him. It doesn't make sense to with where he's, how old he is and where he's at in his career. I'm not saying they should throw big money at him when he becomes a free agent next summer or next offseason, but there is no incentive and no reason now to to give up on him. I I think you can still bank on him being a, a rotation player when healthy. Um he's He's probably not a starter in the NBA right now for his quality, but I think he's a he's a relatively high level bench player even even with his flaws. And if he had a if he played center and had a had a dialed in role as a backup, I think he could be valuable. You aren't the only one asking about Zach Collins though. We're getting, we're hitting a run of Zach Collins questions here in the second segment. Job Anderson at Jobu 76 might be Job Anderson. I don't know if it's a biblical pronunciation or not, but Job slash Job asks, how much do you think the Blazers were emotionally impacted by the news that Collins was done? Seemed like they lost the last straw for their energy level. Yeah. I talked a little bit about this on a previous podcast after, um, uh I believe it was game three when Yusuf Nurkic just looked really tired I don't think it was I don't think it was like this sort of demoralizing thing I would probably disagree with that characterization of it but I do think the loss of him like had a actual physical impact on them because they didn't have minutes for a NBA quality big to come in and replace what Nurk and Hassan Whiteside were can offer them they just don't have that on the roster now um they don't have enough bigs. Their front line is depleted, and Zach really did it. But I don't. I would probably disagree that he was um, a major emotional impact. Sure, it was emotional, but I don't think it's. I don't think it was sh- series shifting by any means. Um, I do think it's a bummer, and the team feels it when one of their guys gets hurt, and they certainly felt it just by not having another big body on the front line. Okay, next question comes from Scozers, who says, "As we sit here and face the reality of Zach Collins being out for the playoffs, and." Biggies, Caleb Caleb Swanigan as a non-factor in the long-term plans it has to hurt looking back at having three first-round picks in 2017 could have drafted guys like Donovan Mitchell I get it we had CJ but Bam Adebayo John Collins OG Ananobi Kyle Kuzma does that ever cross your mind when thinking of the near and long-term future of this team in Dame's prime yeah I do reconsider that 2017 draft um I'm not a big draft guy. Like, I, I watch one college basketball team, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I watch all their games, some of them multiple times if I enjoy them. But I don't really watch other college basketball. I don't find it very entertaining. Um, I, I'm an NBA fan. The basketball I watch is NBA. Uh, so I didn't, you know, I don't have, I didn't have strong feelings about Bam Adebayo. Or I liked OG Ananobi because I was at a draft workout the Blazers held, and OG was there, and I said, yeah, this guy seems pretty good. And at the time, he was coming off an ACL injury. So I said he was pretty good because I enjoyed the interview with him. I mean, that that's, that is my level of draft pre- preparation is that I talked to the guy for five minutes. I said, yeah, he seems cool. Kyle Kuzma, I knew that he was getting some hype as a late-round pick, but I'd never seen him play at Utah. Are you kidding me? John Collins went to Wake, so I knew he was just from ACC basketball, but I didn't have a strong opinion on him. I think pre-draft stuff, I thought he was maybe a guy who could help. I think I had to do some... Uh, some mock drafts at the time for my job. And I think I put both him and OG in some mock drafts. I liked, I liked the idea of both of those fits, but I do, I do think back to that draft because the Blazers clearly targeted Zach Collins and moved up to go get him. Um, They, the, you know, the picks became Justin Jackson and Harry Giles. But if you consider maybe them using those picks on, On Bam or John Collins or OG, I I definitely think it changes the outcome. Uh, I think it's easy to do this like redraftables thing, um, but it, it definitely this is a thing that that specific draft definitely crosses my mind because Bam and OG specifically would be incredibly helpful on this team. Fred Garver at Fred underscore Garver on Twitter asks. How many great options would the Trailblazers have now if they drafted Donovan Mitchell instead of Zach Collins seems like Z just breaks down, yeah, the Donovan Mitchell thing is interesting right because he was right there in the range if they traded up to ten they could have they he they would have had him they would have been available um you know the jazz were really hot on him and apparently had this you know secret workout or whatever, and they don't leak this information about how good he is and they trade up to thirteenth to go get him so You know the 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 Blazers were right there in the position. They could have done what the Jazz did if they liked him. The problem is, I just don't think Donovan Mitchell blossoms the same way in Portland as he has in Utah. He's not going to have the ball in his hands. He'd probably be coming off the bench. It's just a hard. It's a hard. One of the one of the difficult things when you're a good team like the Blazers were when they drafted Zach Collins. They weren't a great team, but they were pretty good team. Is that they were that you are more inclined to draft for fit. You say, "Okay, we have these two parts, we kind of need a big. We need a long-term big or you know, we don't need guards right now. We need we need guys who who can who can help, can complement Damon and CJ." So you end up drafting more for need as opposed and fit as opposed to just best player available. And I think maybe always in the draft, certainly most times in the draft, just drafting the best player on your board is maybe um Maybe the best plan. I don't know where the, where the Blazers had Donovan Mitchell. Um, you would assume that if they really, really liked him, that they would have just gone ahead and taken him at 10 and then figured it out from there. But I just don't think Donovan Mitchell blossoms into this, you know, all-star level guard playing alongside Dame and CJ. It's just, it has been hard for dudes in that position to feel like they're involved. Um, pretty much every guard see. Evan Turner or Mo Harkless or Seth Curry has had issues with not enough touches, not enough chances while playing next to Damon CJ and drafting a guy 10th overall. And then putting him in that position seems like a way to screw up his development. So yeah, uh, just like raw talent alone, that would be better, but I don't think it always works that way. All right, let's close out the show in the third segment with more of your questions. But first let me tell you all about bill bar. Bill bar is the protein bar that tastes delicious. The trick here is that they taste really good. They come in 18 amazing flavors. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They got a great soft and easy to chew texture. Look, if you've tried other protein bars, you know they can be gross. Chalky and dry. Built Bar's not that. It's a thing that tastes good. In addition to being just a generally yummy treat, it's also pretty good for you. They're a wonderful option for the health conscious among us because they're low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. Take for instance... The very delicious coconut almond flavor. You got 18 grams of protein in that bad boy. 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, just 5 grams of net carbs. Tastes good. It's good for you. It's a better snack option than other things you're reaching for. Get yourself some. And the way you do that is you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your next order. Use that promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Lockdown Blazers, and we're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. Talked stotts. Talked Dames injury. Talked a whole bunch about Zach Collins. People are worried about Zach Collins. You know who else they're worried about? They're worried about Anthony Simons. Eric from Gmail asks. I've been an Ant fan since the beginning and really love all the potential that comes with him. However, watching his game this year, it is evident that something is missing or that something is not quite clicking. It is, is it solely a confidence thing that is holding Anthony back or is there something else? What are your hopes for his development next year and perhaps for the f- years following next year? I'm crossing my fingers that he could be the heir to the lowered throne, but I'm starting to doubt my previous confidence. And also Guido Pinamonti at Guido Pinamanti on Twitter asks, does Ant have a future with this team? Okay, the thing, the thing I'm struck by from this first question, Eric, is the heir apparent to Damian Lillard. That seems way too high. So let's lower the expectations down. Damian Lillard is the best player in the history of the franchise. You're hoping that Anthony Simons is an NBA starter. So I don't think it's just lack of confidence. I think that's that just seems... Okay, I think when fans watch, watch sports in general, they always confuse... Uh, Execution and effort, and sort of and success and confidence. If you have confidence, you play well. And I don't, I just don't think that's true. Sometimes you can be incredibly confident. See Kyle Kuzma and shoot a bunch of air balls. You gain confidence by playing well, but if you have confidence, it doesn't mean you play well. I don't think that those two are related. The same way that I think you can give effort and and lose because you can give effort either in the wrong way or you just aren't talented enough. And playing hard doesn't make up for it. So I don't think ants thing is confidence. I think ants thing is ability right now. I don't think he's a natural point guard. I don't think he's I don't think he sees the floor very well. I think he's a, he's a score only type guy who isn't maybe quite strong enough frame-wise to get all of his shots to go at the rim and struggled with his shot this year maybe because teams could zero in on knowing that he was going to shoot step backs and he kind of has a funky slow release. I think he can get a lot better. The Blazers have a track record of letting guys improve in year three. They did it with Alan Crabb. They did it with Will Barton, Pat Connaughton, Jake Lehman. The Blazers bet heavily on it, and they rolled him out a year too early. He turned 21 in June. He never played college basketball. He has a lot of characteristics of a guy who still needs time to development, and he plays for an organization that has traditionally been very patient in the development of exactly his type of player and yet they rush the development. They think he's going to be really good. Multiple NBA guys, multiple Blazers guys have told me this dude's going to be really good. I still believe he can be. I just think an expectation that he was going to make this giant leap in year two was unfair, and the, bla- and the team bet a whole lot on him taking this big jump, and he wasn't ready for it. And The high expectations have killed your future belief in, in Anthony Simons. If you thought this dude was Will Barton and you said just wait till year three, you'd be excited about year three. So I think Ant could still be a starter in the league. I think he has an ability to be probably be have a long-term career in the NBA. But the idea that he's going to be a superstar seems far-fetched. So does he have a future on this team? He absolutely does. They've invested a lot in him. They've hyped him up. He's got two more years on his rookie deal. He can be part of the plan for cheap for till he's, you know, 23 years old. Then they can make a decision. So yeah, he might have a future, he might have a really bright future with this team. So the Blazers did this to you. Neil Olshay did this to you by thinking that Ant was going to be really special and having him turn into being just okay. All right, this next question comes from Trailblazon at trailblazon 0 on Twitter who asks, Do you think the Trailblazers have been getting robbed by the refs in the first half of Game 3 and Game 4 with terrible calls? Listen, I did a whole podcast, a whole segment on this after Game 3 about uh, I analyzed every single first half foul in Game 3. You can go back and listen to it. And in Game 4... I know that people were mad about the refs and all these things, but I just didn't see it. I saw the Lakers just being better. And sometimes when you're better and you're playing better, you get foul calls because things are breaking your way. I, I think there certainly was a foul disparity, but the Lakers just, they dom—they just dominate the paint and get downhill. And they kept Dame and CJ out of the paint. And the Blazers' second best player, second best scorer in CJ McCollum is not a high free throw guy. So you're really asking Dame to get... 17 trips to the free throw line it's and he can he's certainly capable of that that's that is not a that is a relatively normal number of trips on a night that he scores a bunch of points but yeah i don't think they got jobs in game four and i think it had let me say this very clearly the refs had zero impact on game four none the lakers won the game the blazers lost it the refs were there Next question comes from Dan Zeal.DizzyZeebo on Twitter who asks, A lot of talk today about Dame needing to move more like Steph off the ball, but how do they get there or can they with how the roster will be likely be constructed? Anthony Slater at The Athletic wrote an in-depth piece kind of comparing the differences in Dame's game and Steph Curry's game. But if you were a longtime listener to this podcast, I have talked about Dame being a bad cutter and bad off the ball a bunch. I think I've even said it during this playoff run. He's just not Steph Curry in that way. Steph's been doing this since he was at Davidson and people were convinced that he was a shooting guard uh, before the, the game of basketball was changed by maybe him. Shout out to Mike D'Antoni also. But, you know, the Warriors kind of bent the plan a little bit, and Steph's ability to shoot off the dribble really changed the way that people view guards and view the league. But Dame isn't good at it. He's just, he he is not as talented as Steph at it. I saw Dame's agent, or a member of James Dame's agency on Twitter, kind of pushing back and saying that it was a personnel thing. And I do think it's a personnel thing. The Blazers don't have a ton of great playmakers. But... Yusuf Nurkic is a pretty good playmaker, and Dame doesn't. Dame and him have a great two-man game, but Dame doesn't work off the ball very well with Yusuf Nurkic as a playmaker. CJ McCollum, the Blazers just need to coax out of him. The C, CJ plays like a point guard when Dame isn't there. They need to coax that out of him, whatever that is. They need to find it and bring it out of him. Terry Stotts has said as much. CJ has pushed back a little bit against it because he's a weirdo, but. Um, They need him to also be a playmaker. You need more playmakers to move Dame off the ball. But I think really it's a comfort level thing. Dame is more comfortable as at point of attack, give me the ball, I can go score. He's one of the best pick and roll guards in the league. In fact, this season, he was the best high volume pick and roll player in the NBA. He gets buckets that way. But against the traps, against the really focused game plan specific defense in the playoffs, you have to move off the ball. It's something that's killed him. But here we are eight years in and we, and Terry and Dame haven't figured out to how to have good off-ball actions for Dame. I think that is definitely part personnel, but it's, it is part Damien Lord and his coach just saying, Dame's unwillingness to do it and his coach saying, you know what, let's do what you do best. It falls on both of them. It falls on coach and player for their inability to do it. But I think it's it's... I think it's something that Dame isn't good at, and I think that is more of a factor of it than the personnel itself. If he was a really good cutter off the ball, he he could turn guys into better passers by virtue of being a weapon by flying around off the ball. But you don't see Dame do that because he's not comfortable with it. Okay, next question comes from Andy from Gmail who asks, If you could pick one thing and one thing only for Little to work on during the offseason to make him a useful rotation piece in 2020-2021, what would it be and why? I am going to say, I think shooting is the obvious one, so I'm not going to go there. I'm going to say ball handling. If Nazir Little had a tight handle and could use his athleticism to get by people and get to the rim and break down defenses, the Blazers' offense would have a dynamic that they currently lack. Someone of his size, you know, a long six-six, six-six with long arms and hops, who could really use a tight handle to get past people, I think that would be a real weapon. Okay, next question comes from Lewis from Gmail who asks, what are your thoughts on Co- the Kobe Day storyline being shoe-hinned, shoehorned into the series? To me, the idea of the Lakers taking control being somehow inspired by what would have been Kobe Bryant's 42nd birthday draws parallels to the suggestion that the passing of Nurkic's grandma Nurkish's grandma Hannah was responsible for his subsequent inspired play, a narrative you so rightfully described in a previous episode as disgusting. It's understandable that the recent death of a legendary player remains on the minds of a franchise he led to glory, but after tip-off, the only story should be two teams playing basketball and maybe the and may the better one win, the victory at Staples in January upon the Lakers' return to play following the tragedy will go down as one of my favorite regular season wins in Blazers history, in part because it eschewed the notion that LA needed to win that game for their fallen star. No disrespect to the memory of Kobe Bryant himself, even if he was one of the arch nemesis of all diehard Blazer fans in the early 2000s, I simply feel that these types of narratives don't belong in sports once the game actually starts. Yeah... I mean, I don't know if you can avoid that. I understand your beef with it. I think sometimes it's a little heavy-handed. My problem with the Kobe Bryant stuff is that he wasn't a very good dude off the court, and you never talk about that part of his legacy. It's probably inappropriate to talk about someone on his birthday, their first birthday after they've passed, about how he wasn't a good person. I'm not asking ESPN to do that, but I'm asking outside of the broadcast, all of the people celebrating Kobe Bryant, how special he was, to recognize more than just saying he was a complicated person and say, this isn't a good dude, and not all heroes are good dudes. Sexual assault is a real crime and a real problem that is brushed over a lot in athletes, and not recognizing Kobe Bryant's role in that, a heinous act such as that, is unfair to the legacy of survivors of sexual assault. Now, maybe that's not the direction you wanted this question to go, but when I hear Kobe Bryant and I hear all of my colleagues in sports media exalt him as being this great person and this great ambassador and this wonderful winner, I can't help but think all of the things that you might say about him if he aged into old age and we got to look back and say, yeah, he also was a bad dude. Okay, final question of the show. From Logan Gillis, at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who says, you said something along the lines of there being no point or no value to play in Game Five on yesterday's episode. I did, Logan. I said I spent eight minutes saying that. So, sorry. If we're talking about the outcome of the series, sure. But what would you what What do you think the value is for young guys to get to this playoff experience against a team as talented as the Lakers? Does it provide some benefit for Gary Trent Jr., Anthony Simons, Wayne Gabriel, and even Jalen Horde? Or do you think the concept of getting playoff minutes and seasoned is overrated? I'm going to say in general I think it's overrated. Um, I think playoff experience is, is valuable. Uh, I don't I don't have a good quantitative way to say that, but I do or to measure that, but I do think I do think the circumstances specifically of this game 5 make it a little bit less valuable. And let me explain why. When Ian Gabriel playing alongside the starters in game 2, that has real value. He's playing from the jump, opening minutes a game you know is competitive. Gary Trent Jr. getting all these minutes as the like de facto six man on this team, incredibly valuable, but young guys playing a ton of minutes in a game where they will likely be wildly overmatched without the franchise star and in a game that is specifically abnormal for their lack of available bodies and the lack of Damian Lillard and you know where they're at in the series and also just the I think the inevitableness of of what the Lakers are doing to them right now and the and all those things. I think it makes it this specifically less valuable. I think getting Ant some real minutes against high-level teams where he can watch. I played in the playoffs. Uh, I was guarded by Contavius Caldwell Pope. I had to navigate a double team with where Anthony Davis and, and LeBron were involved. I think there's value in that. I think I think Hugh can learn some things. But I think The the specific seasoning that they're going to get in 48 minutes of Game 5 is not valuable enough for it to matter for the long-term or short-term of the franchise. Now, if Anthony Simons has 55 and they win Game 5, I'm going to be singing a different tune, Logan. You better believe I'm going to say this is valuable— it's so good that they played. I can't believe how much this is going to mean for Anthony Simons' career. I can't believe this is going to jumpstart Jalen Horde. He's going to be a starting NBA forward next season. Like, this is so meaningful. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to get smoked, and I think the season's going to end, and I don't think the 40 minutes that they're going to play on Wednesday evening is going to be the difference in helping their careers. I think playoff seasoning really helped a guy like CJ McCollum. He got a chance against Memphis Grizzlies to play and show out and prove that he was really good and take this massive step. He the most improved player next season. I don't think the opportunity and the situation is the same right now, specifically for Game 5, specifically for these Blazers. So, under the circumstances, I say seasoning is overrated. And that's it. The end of your saltiest episode of Mailbag Monday in a while. We do this every week on Locked on Blazers. Season or not, we keep it rolling. So if you want to get involved, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email the show LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.